Hey y'all, I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney, and welcome back to New Slang. This is episode 185, where I'm joined by rising singer-songwriter Zoe Cummins. I caught up with Zoe last week for a great conversation about growing up in rural Oklahoma and moving to Nashville, pursuing her dream and goals of becoming a recording artist, and of course, her self-titled EP, which is out this Friday, July 16th. So Zoe, she's been working with the folks over at Torres Music Group and Farmland Studios. Stop me if you've heard this one before. In my opinion, they're producing and cultivating some of the best music that's coming out of Nashville these days. It's a genuine, organic, and diverse cast of songwriters and artists. We touch on some of that during this one as well. This EP by Zoe is just a wonderful introduction to her as an artist. She covers a lot of ground in just these six songs without feeling like she's just trying to check every box or wearing herself thin. There's still a cohesiveness. She's undoubtedly going to get some of those Morgan Wade comparisons. Obviously, it's not a bad thing. She does occupy some of that singer-songwriter country ground, but there's a lot of that Tom Petty rock and roll, some of those Fleetwood Mac vibes. But I think one of the major keys, one of the major elements of Zoe's music is her voice and her delivery. There's a soulfulness that really makes it special. It's really effortlessly cool, and I feel like it just informs everything that she's doing here. And it's not like she's using that soulfulness in the same way every time. You kind of catch these different glimpses of that soulfulness, whether that's in these like soaring sing-along choruses, like on Your Side of It, or, or like on the boozy bar storyteller Ghost Stories, or when she slows it down on the Leon Bridges cover, Beyond, it's there as well. Anyway, we talk about the development of these songs, that style, and, and the feel of the EP, and much, much more on this one. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Soto. If you've been listening to New Slang for really any amount of time, you'll know that Desert Door is one of my all-time favorite premium, high-quality spirits. If you haven't or aren't sure what exactly a Soto is, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's going to up the game on your liquor cabinet. For starters, the best reference point that I can point you to is to think about a tequila or a mezcal. Do you feel that western desert, that Texas ruggedness? Okay, Soto is like that, but a little bit more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It intrigues the palate and offers these hints of vanilla and citrus. There's an earthiness that often sends me right back to my Trans-Pecos and Far West Texas roots. There's plenty to love about Desert Door. For me, it all starts right there. A close second is just how versatile Desert Door really is. You can go full highbrow and experiment with concocting a variety of cocktails that call for muddling fresh fruit, sprigs of thyme, sticks of cinnamon. It's perfect for that world. If you're a little bit more down home, if you've just rolled up the sleeves of your denim Wrangler button-up, it's perfect for that as well. If you're just desiring something that's short and sweet, it hits the mark every time. Desert Door is genuine and authentically West Texan. It's inherently West Texan. They harvest soto plants out in the wild and are knowledgeable conservationists at heart. That's obviously something incredibly important to me. They shine a light on what makes West Texas special and unique and worth preserving and keeping it safe from exploitation. Right now, you can find Desert Door all over Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, and there's budding numbers in places like New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Georgia. Best thing you can do is to check out DesertDoor.com to find where Desert Door is locally. Again, that's DesertDoor.com. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, I would highly encourage you to hit that subscribe button. New Slang is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to stop on over and visit our merch store. That would be at newslangpodcast.bigcartel.com. Over there, you can find t-shirts, coffee mugs, shot glasses, magnets, keychains, all kinds of stuff. Go over there and check it out. All the links that I just mentioned, they are in the show notes. So yeah, let's get on into it. Here is Zoe Cummins. Um, yeah, well, let's kind of start with the obvious. You have a, a new EP that's going to be coming out July 16th, self-titled. Um, yeah, did you, was this like, 
Has it, was this recorded this past year during quarantine a little before, or was it like, is this kind of a little bit more of a new recording process than, than that? What's the kind of the story behind there? Yeah. Um, so actually the way that I got to record it in the first place was really cool. Um, I've been wanting to put a record together for a while. Um, whenever I was playing tons of shows, sometimes like two or three a night, uh, I did not give myself the time to be able to record. So yeah, during um, quarantine, I decided that it was definitely a good idea to use that time to be in the studio. A lot of artists were doing that. So I posted on Instagram that I was ready to start that process. And um, Alex Torres reached out to me. And obviously, we had a lot of mutual friends. And he said that he had a really, really cool group at Farmland that he had been doing records with. And um, it sounded really awesome. So we got together. And that was in November when we started recording. So we were kind of on the tail end of of quarantine and stuff, but uh, definitely still very much a COVID situation, um, masks in the studio and everything. But, but yeah, we got in in November and uh, just kind of took that process all the way through early April when I think the first single was released. So yeah, it was, it was really interesting, but it was definitely the time to be in the studio. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that you you were connected with the with Alex and like Torres Music Group and all of the the, the stuff that he's been doing out there. Um, he's got like a really really nice diverse cast of songwriters that he's been working with. And um, actually, I think it was like yesterday I watched that video that you and Gabe Lee had on on YouTube. It was like an interview and a uh, couple performances. So that was really nice to see. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And that was also done at Farmland, so it's kind of a magical little place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what what's it, I guess, like, did you know Gabe or any of these, uh, the folks that over at Farmland beforehand? Um, what And then obviously, I'm sure like you, regardless if you did or did not know them, I'm sure that's been one of those relationships that's kind of, you know, you know these people a little bit more. Have you uh, yeah. been able to do any co-writing or anything like that? What's that been like? Yeah, um, so I knew Gabe. We had been playing some shows kind of, you know, with each other, alongside each other um, over the past couple years, and it's been really cool to get to know him. Um, That's definitely how I got connected to Alex. And um, I'm really, that video that you saw was really awesome. That was the first time we've ever collaborated on anything, but he's just so, so talented. So it was really, really cool to get in the studio and do that together. And, And yeah, I think, I'm really grateful to be a part of Torres Music Group because um, there is like a really diverse cast of people, like you said, but we've all been working with each other a little bit more as time is going on. And that's been so fun. Everybody's so, so talented. So, um, yeah, that's what was the other part of the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, like, have you have you had like, I guess, more chances to to collaborate with, with some, <coughs> pardon me, with some of the, the folks out there as far as you know, getting into like more co-writing situations or anything like that, any kind of Uh, collaborative efforts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say Alex does a really good job kind of getting everybody together. And um, I didn't really know any of the musicians or anything at Farmland. Um, I knew of them, of course, but um, meeting them for the first time with Alex. So he's really, really, really good at bringing people together. And it's funny, like when you walk into a bar with him, everybody just just knows who he is they're always like Alex hey so he definitely brings us together and he's started doing some really fun shows for all of us Um, most recently we did um, a whiskey jam which is just a really cool event in Nashville I'm sure you're probably familiar with Um, and he did a TMG takeover so we all got to kind of do like a family band and play each other's songs and sing sing all together so that was really cool and then i think in september he's putting together a really cool like really big show with all of us and and he brings in a lot of our other friends that play music that aren't necessarily with tmg right now but still all part of the family you know and i think um one of the first things i heard in town was that you kind of find your group of musicians 
to be like a class, you know, like your high school graduating class. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I think that's very true for where, at least where I'm at right now. And I think where TMG is at right now as well. So, so we're a little family, a little group. Um, and we got tons of friends that, that we like to kind of stick around, play with pretty, uh, pretty frequently. But as far as the writing process goes, um, it's kind of, it's different. I haven't written much with anybody from Torres music group, although I really want to, cause like I said, everybody's so talented and writing is, um, just such a passion of all of ours. So hopefully that'll be coming soon. But, um, but I do have a lot of friends that I write with in town. Um, some more frequently than others, like some of the names on this current EP, um, I was writing with pretty consistently before COVID. And, and so I love them. I, I just kind of starting the writing process back up after everything right now. So we're using back in. Yeah. You know, like one of the things that I guess like I've talked with Alex here and there, um, really just like through social media and email and that kind of thing. But so I'm, I'm a little, you know, a couple steps away, but one of the things I feel that you, you really get a sense of, sense of is how you said right there, he kind of connects people. He puts people in the room and then also just doesn't like really try and um, make you sound a certain way. Um, he doesn't right. try and like, you know, make you fit a certain mold or anything like that. And you can really see that with, again, like the like Gabe Lee's or like the Tristan Marez's like they don't sound anything remotely the same, but like they're they're still like given the same like freedom, I guess, to to create what they want, even though they're you know, under the same umbrella. I'm sure that was something that really drew you to the, to them as well. Oh, absolutely. Like your creative control is everything. And Alex just kind of enhances it. He just, he just adds to it. He doesn't tell you you need to do anything specific. And for me, that was a really big deal because like you said, there's a lot of different genres in the company, but Specifically, the reason I think we decided to do an EP instead of a record was trying to find songs of mine that were cohesive because I like to go, you know, through different genres per song. Um, you know, I really kind of just depends what I'm listening to or what's striking me at the moment. But um, but yeah, he's like finding really cool ways to to make it still be my sound. Um, and it's and it like all be cohesive, all those different genres and blends, and and so it's been really really fun. Yeah, I, I really do love your EP. It's like you know one of the, I guess like that first thing that really draws you in is your voice. Like your voice has like just that right amount of like rasp to it, you know. Where Thanks. it's it's just it, I don't know. Like I'm sure you've kind of you've probably heard plenty of Morgan Wade comparisons already, but. There is that little bit of that. There's that little bit of like that Tom Petty thing that's going on as well. And I don't know, like, I, again, there's just a lot of really cool moments on there. Um, I'm kind of just kind of, I guess, um, not necessarily obsessed. I won't use that word. But the one that I just keep on going back to is ghost stories. Thank you. Yeah, I I love that one. And playing that one live is like one of the best feelings. I love I love the rock thing, and I think I think we totally nailed it in the studio. So thank you for saying that. It, it feels really good. Yeah, what's what's kind of like the story behind that song? Where was like, um, I guess maybe like the the origin uh, point from, yeah. from from where that came from? Yeah, um, I think this is actually one of my favorite stories to tell, just because of how random it is. Um, I've I love to like make up stories <laughs> and, um, and do that kind of thing. So, um, I would say it was back when I was playing again, like every night I got to a point right before COVID when I was just gigging a lot and I had a free day and one of my best friends is a videographer and she's actually a content creator for a label now, but she was just, touring a lot as a videographer at the time and so we both had a free day and we were hanging out on my back porch and decided to write a song (laughs) so we've written actually a couple songs together and it's it's crazy how well that that's worked out for us but um 
she was back from a weekend run and she had just jotted a couple lines down in her notes about just crowd watching, people watching, things that you do as a videographer. And she had the lines. Um, she grew up in Mississippi. Um, what's the first two lines? She grew up in Mississippi, jumps from Wayland back to Whitley. And then she had always sticks to Jack and Coke. She praises Willie, but she don't smoke. Um, just kind of generalizing people in the crowd, like I said. And I was like, well, let's make up a story about this girl and and kind of based everything around that, like who shows up to the concert. Um, but yeah, we just made up a story about kind of that concert scene where sometimes you meet people there and you might have a drink with them or whatever. And then as soon as the concert's over, that's kind of it. And you just kind of walk away. And sometimes you don't even know their name. So, you know, we were kind of laughing about, you know, if you get drunk or whatever and, and like totally don't know anything about somebody, they could be a made up person. And sometimes they are, you know, made up and, um, <laughs> you know, from that side of things. So it was like, well, maybe they're a ghost. Maybe they're ghosting somebody. And we just went with it. We just had a lot of fun kind of creating this story. Yeah. There's a lot of that character development in those first few lines right there, as far as describing a person, I do love that, you know, probably the, the obvious line would be from like Waylon to Willie because of that rhyme and everyone does mm -hmm. that, but you went with, you guys went with the Whitley, which appreciate right there. But two, <laughs> I do love, I'm kind of fascinated with that whole aspect right there of you guys talking about the, the, um, the ghosting of people or the misconnections, um, or mm -hmm. the, um, you know, kind of doing the the big uh, fish story, kind of blowing things out of proportion, maybe. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I especially being in Nashville, we see that so often. Um, and so, yeah, we just thought it was it was cool to tell that story to people. And and we definitely thought that Keith Whitley did not get enough recognition. Just generally, you know, you always have like the top players mentioned in town. You see Cash's face everywhere, Willie's face. And we're like, but Willie was so good. We have to do it. Yeah. That's like the, I, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things where there's like so few people who can like hang with Whitley when it comes to those vocals that like maybe totally. there's a little intimidation there, you know, not saying yeah, that like maybe. singing a Johnny Cash song is easy, but maybe it's a little bit easier for most folks. And, the Whitley thing's a little intimidating to, you know, right. try and cut a Whitley song or cover one, but yeah. This episode of New Slang is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has long been the heart and soul of the Lubbock singer-songwriter scene and has been a home away from home for some of Texas, Americana, country, and rock and roll's finest over the years. Talk with 99.9% .9 of the songwriters who have come out of Lubbock and the panhandle at large over the past 20 years, and they'll point to just how integral and necessary the blue light is. With live music and touring slowly but surely coming back, spots like the blue light are getting back to their usual ways as well. That means music every night of the week. Do you want to see that schedule? Well, I've got a few options for you. One, go to their socials and give them a follow. That is at Blue Light Live on Twitter, at The Blue Light Live on Instagram, and of course, by just searching The Blue Light Live on Facebook. They're consistently posting that week's lineup of shows, as well as those heavy hitters that ought to be on your calendar that are coming up on the horizon. Two, check out bluelightlubbock.com as well. There they have the full schedule, the cover charges, time any of those specials that may be happening while there go check out their merch page they have a wide range of hats koozies hoodies sweaters beanies jackets and so much more you can of course get all of your merch needs when you go see your favorite band take the stage at blue light just ask the bartender and they will get you all set speaking of which that's another great way of seeing who's playing there just go to the blue light it's at 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue here in Lubbock, Texas. And of course, again, that is bluelightlubbock.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes too. Maybe I'll see you there. Okay, let's get back to the show. 
Now, obviously on here as well, you, you do the, the Leon Bridges cover. Um, <clears throat> first off, like when did you kind of like decide, Hey, this is something that I need to throw into my own, you know, catalog, if you will. And then also like what, what's kind of like the, the decision to, to go the acoustic route on that song? Yeah, I think honestly, everything happened really accidentally and it worked out really well for us, which is so cool. Um, I was kind of nervous. Like, well, I posted a video of me singing it. You know, you got to practice your songs for your three hour gigs and stuff. And, and that's just always one that I really love. And I think everybody loves that song. And it's, it's really beautiful. It's really simple in just the right ways. And so I posted it on my Instagram and Alex was like, Hey, you sound pretty good. Like, maybe we should cut that song. Let's do it. And we had already cut the record, but we went back in and it was like, well, it's so abrupt. So soon um, we decided to do it acoustic, but it just had the right vibe. And, and like, I think the best songs, um, and I've heard this before are ones that can stand alone with just a voice and a guitar. And it felt like one of those songs. So we just did it. And like I said, it turned out cool. I was a little bit nervous at first, as I was saying, because um, actually Luke Combs did a crossroads session with Leon Bridges for that song. And I, it didn't even occur to me, but um, until afterwards, but, but yeah, doing it acoustic, I think separated my version from that version as well. And um, it was, it was just the right move. It happened accidentally, but it was totally the right move. And it was a lot of fun. And I love that song. Yeah. And as far as like, you know, the placement on the EP, it, it adds like that little moment where it's a little bit softer than the rest of the EP <laughs> separates itself in that kind of sense, but obviously still fits within the parameters. But I think it, it, it gives a, a little bit of that moment to uh, kind of maybe like, you know, um, get a little bit of a, a break, maybe not necessarily a break, but, you know, catch your breath yeah. a little bit, something like that. Lean into the, the EP. Yeah, totally. It, it was, I think it's really cool. And I think that's kind of like one of those things where the jumping of the genres kind of worked by doing it that way. Um, and like, I feel like there's a lot of really rock elements to the whole production of the EP. We were definitely going for those like big moments and, and, you know, my band always rocks those out whenever we play it live so yeah i think it i think it was really cool to say hey this is a little bit different but you know it's still zoe <laughs> <laughs> yeah you mentioned earlier the you know playing a, a bunch of shows and kind of just doing that way before i guess like not way before but before mm -hmm. uh the lockdown and kind of just being not necessarily stuck but being in that mold and not having the the time to to cut an ep or anything like that um, how long have, had you been doing that in Nashville? Well, um, so I went to school here. I went to Belmont and mm -hmm. I kind of decided, I don't know if it's just my mentality or if it was something I was hearing, but I decided if I was going to be in Nashville, which I always wanted to be, of course, school was like my parents' way of saying, okay, you can go to Nashville and still have something going on. But, um, I decided that like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Gotta make the parents happy. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, but like as soon as I got into town, I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just like be able to make stuff happen if I'm not playing. And so it was just a commitment of mine to myself to like, okay, I'm going to play every night. It doesn't matter if it's like an open mic that leads to a round or if it's around, or if it's in somebody's, like, backyard, like, I have to play every night, so I did, I would, like, start hustling and do that, and um, college, it was easy, because I was kind of living off my student loans, you know, um, but then I started bartending after college, because it felt like the one job that could work, you know, while I was playing shows every night, and then it got to a point where I was, like, asking too much off work and I literally had one of my bosses sit me down once and say you don't really need this job do you and then I was thinking well I guess I kind of don't need this job and so then it was a hustle to like you know be able to pay my bills and and like actually 
exist in Nashville. So, so then it was just like a mega hustle for a while. It was like, well, I've got to play the paid shows enough, but then still be able to do the showcases and the rounds and stuff that I want. So, so it kind of was just like, it was just the only thing to do, I think. Yeah. Well, I guess like, you know, you, you said you moved up there for, for school. Um, did mm-hmm. you move up there knowing anybody or was that kind of, you know, the, the yeah. first time you moved up there just kind of being alone? Yeah, I was, I was alone. I think a lot of people, like a lot of people at the college were though, which was good because, you know, everybody came with the same dream and the same, like, I'm going to do it solo or with somebody. So, so it was kind of like the perfect meeting grounds to be able to say, okay, we're all alone together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, it's interesting that you're talking about the, I guess, maybe kind of getting caught like on the. I guess like the hamster wheel, you know, where you're having to mm-hmm. like play that many shows to do the shows that you want. And then like, just kind of, you know, don't look down, just keep on running. Because if you maybe look down, you know, you can get caught up in, uh, Oh my God, we're going a hundred miles an hour. And you know, how do I get mm-hmm. off? How do you keep up with, with doing that kind of thing? You know? Um, I don't know. It, yeah. It's really, really interesting. I'm sure like a lot of up and coming songwriters who moved to Nashville, feel that but um I don't know maybe was there any like I guess like thoughts about you know I guess maybe a different approach because I'm sure like some people move up there thinking I need to be writing songs and just writing and like pitching songs in that capacity versus like actually playing more um or 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 did you always kind of feel like getting your songs out um, even if they were in these like smaller rooms and then working up was the way to go. What, what's, I guess like yeah. maybe the process of, of behind that, or is there, is that just kind of the, the standard did you, do you feel? I think there's, I think it differs. I think there's definitely like people that move up here to be writers and I've gotten to know those people really well. And they're so all, also just so talented in their own way. Um, but I feel like those people are constantly looking for an artist to sing um, the songs and to write with so that, you know, they have something released too. Um, and I think like, I've, you know, I don't like have a ton of money. <laughs> so recording here is kind of, mm-hmm. kind of a tricky thing. You know, you gotta, gotta save up for a while. So that was just not something that was super easy for me to do when I was like, you know, bartending and playing gigs to pay my bills so that I could do it. So I mean, that's something that would have been really glamorous, but for me, it was like, I'm here to be a performer and I just love to, I love to get up on stage and sing and like songwriting. I, I kind of started getting into co-writing in Nashville. Like that wasn't really a thing back home. There wasn't a lot of people pursuing music, um, at least within driving distance from my hometown. So I write solo a lot, um, something I've always done, something that I still do. Um, so booking those rights and things was, was definitely like a second thought. It was like, okay, I already have these songs. I'm writing like crazy in my dorm room, writing like crazy by myself every day. I mean, that's how I filled up the days while I was waiting for my shows to happen. So, um, so writing like just kind of happened. And then it was like, okay, the goal is to make people hear these. And if I'm not recording these, like I did do some recordings, but, um, but it was definitely like, well, I got, I got to make somebody hear me somehow. And regardless of whether or not you're like in town to be a writer or a performer or a performer, um, something that everybody has to do is get into rounds and play songwriting rounds. I mean, Nashville is like living on those rounds. (laughs) So, um, so everybody's doing that anyways. And, um, and that's kind of how I met some of my co-writers and collaborators, um, was doing that. But, but I think like, yeah, I, I think I just always wanted to play live. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's something to that where, you know, it, it's the, it goes to that whole like Malcolm Gladwell thing of like getting X amount of hours before you become an expert on something. But it, it's one of those things where, 
you know, half the people out there always are just kind of telling themselves, I'll start playing whenever I have the songs versus just kind of, you know, jumping in, you know, uh, feet first and just diving into the, the deep end of the pool. There's something more to that where, um, you know, I think like you have to kind of do that sometimes. You may not have all the, all the, the ducks lined up in a row, but you can figure them out as you go. The, uh, yeah. it, it, cause also like at the same time, you'll hear like other people, this is, I don't know the, um, hypothetically, you really don't play around and you just cut a record and then you release it and you'll hear a lot of people go like, well, and this is one of those stupid things that you'll hear people say, but like, oh, that's like a, uh, you know, a plant. Like that person was like mm-hmm. created in a lab, you know, or like that band was like right. put together by the industry. And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe they just, uh, you know, weren't playing around either. I don't know. Uh, it's yeah. just kind of a weird thing there. Um, I think so. there's like some truth to that. I think there's some people that have the resources to be able to do that. And, and that's so so cool um but yeah for me it was like well kind of just like you said my mom gifted me that malcolm gladwell book Mm -hmm. probably all of his books but specifically the Ten Thousand hours you know um whenever i was like 16 or something and she's like okay anything you want to do here's the rule so i definitely think that that's true and and like you know playing out it's it's the best because you get to see people's reactions. Like, you know what works. Like, okay, that song didn't work. But if I did this, this does work. And and so that that was definitely a huge part of me, like, developing my sound. Was just finding those moments and finding finding that thing that worked about whatever I do. Yeah, I guess, like, there, there's a little bit more of the testing process that way. Of the Yeah, definitely. The, at least in some senses you're getting like the instant gratification where otherwise if you're just like writing those songs and playing them in front of the mirror or something maybe mm-hmm. you can get lost in the uh in your own thoughts of like oh is this actually even good yeah totally also like the the funny thing about the malcolm gladwell deal of the the ten thousand hours is sometimes i think like that's like too low of a number and then sometimes I think it's yeah. like too high of a number and I'm like man sometimes like maybe it's like a million hours I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on the bar that you set for yourself <laughs> yeah you you've mentioned home a few times you're from southwest Oklahoma which is yeah pretty uh you almost are out here with in, in Lubbock by uh yeah know, it's pretty like close the, probably like the I guess is it is Lubbock closer than Oklahoma City or is it kind of comparable? It's it's probably pretty comparable. Um, I was actually like I don't know if you know Wichita Falls, but that mm-hmm. was probably like 30, 40 minutes from my hometown. We were just across the border from there, so we did a lot of stuff there. And and yeah, I, I mean Lubbock isn't isn't too bad. Dallas isn't too bad. I would say like we usually would go to Dallas for things instead of Oklahoma city because Oklahoma city was still like pretty small compared to Dallas. I mean, Dallas is huge. So, so I felt like we were there a lot. We've got family there. So we were definitely in Texas a lot. I mean, there's, there's really nothing to my little farming community hometown. (laughs) Is that what your, your family did is, is farm and ranch or, or what's kind of like your, 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 I guess your, your uh, childhood, what was that like? Yeah. Um, my parents didn't specifically farm or anything. My grandpa did. Um, so actually I don't know if you've ever heard of Hollis, Oklahoma. I don't know if there's even a way to put it on the map because it's so small, (laughs) but, um, he grew up doing that and I was pretty involved in, in that world. Um, I, Grew up doing a lot with FFA and 4-H, and that was definitely pretty much the main job. Like I said, it was a farming community where I grew up. It was really small, lots of land. Everybody had a family farm. And, um, and yeah, I got really, really involved in FFA when I was in high school and stuff. There, like, like wasn't a lot of music resources. Like I said, there, the closest music store was half an hour away. And I kind of, I had a few teachers off and on when I was a kid, as far as like guitar teachers, 
but they were just people that I found from the church choir that was like, Hey, I know some chords. So, so I did that a little bit. A lot of it was self-taught and, and it was always what I was doing in my free time. Um, but I did hustle a lot with FFA. I, I had pigs. That was my thing, my project. And we had like a horse and my dad built a barn. And, and so I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of did that. Um, but not like fully, like Mm -hmm. some of my friends' families were doing. Um, I would have like four or five or six pigs at a time and, and our little horse that didn't really do much. He was pretty old, just kind of walk around the yard, but but I grew up with a really big yard. I think we had like 13 acres or something. My dad built our house. And so it was, it was a lot of that vibe. Um, and I was constantly surrounded by it. Yeah. I always wonder about like when you're, when you grow up in a really kind of isolated, small place, how do you, I guess, understand or, um, start believing that you can be a musician or an artist because, you know, it's not like there's a vibrant local scene of local artists mm-hmm. playing in, in your town. Um, I feel like I grew up in Fort Stockton. There really wasn't anything like that there. So I yeah. always kind of felt like, you know, growing up thinking that if you became a musician, you were, you know, as I've said on here a thousand times, you're either like George Strait or you're like that uncle who knew who, some of those guitar <laughs> chords, you know, and there was like no yeah. middle ground. Um, when did you start, I guess, believing that like that was actually, you know, a, a reasonable goal? Because I feel like it really is like to be a, to be a musician is is very reasonable. It obviously takes a lot of hard work and effort, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you have to become Shania Twain. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, um, that's actually one of my favorite stories. I so my mom's oldest sister, um, she pursued songwriting for a portion of her life. Um, she grew up in Kentucky and uh just like an hour north of Nashville. So that was something that she's always been really passionate about. Um outside of that, my family is like athletes. Like my sisters all went to school on sports scholarships and things so I was kind of the oddball but I was I think I was like six I mean music was always my thing um like whenever I was like a little tater tot my I had this little play school boom box and it had a mic on it and you could put um, a cassette in it and sing along with the cassette and I actually had a Shania Twain cassette and I had like the Macarena so I put the Macarena in and I danced for everybody and so, yeah, my mom's oldest sister, Suzanne, um, like noticed pretty quickly that that music was my thing because music was her thing. And um, so she was like constantly sending me little books and instruments. And she was the one who told me, if you want to be a performer, like you have to write, you need to write some songs. So pretty early in my in my life, she told me that I should get into songwriting. And I really loved that. I mean songwriting is so awesome and it's I I don't know I've always been kind of a writer of sorts and so so that was really you know complimentary and really nice and she kind of talked me through some things like as I was growing up and helped me stay on track with that and just fed the fire so to say um so I was really lucky to have her because otherwise there would really be nothing that was telling me to keep doing it I would have probably done it anyways just because it's it was always what I wanted to do, but she, she was the one who put into perspective, like how realistic it could be. And then, like I said, in high school, I was really involved in FFA. I'm the oldest of five girls. So my parents were like, let's get some scholarships. And (laughs) so I kind of had scholarships worked out for that. Um, mostly and, and up until, up until the last day, to apply or to like commit to going to Belmont, I had no clue. Cause I was like, I've got this great life worked out here. I could do, I was giving speeches and kind of getting into the lobbying side of agriculture, which was surrounding me. Um, so I really thought that I was going to do that. I thought I was going to go like be a lobbyist or work in the ag industry somewhere. And, um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I just, 
was talking to my aunt. I was like, well, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to go back and be a musician. Like I could go back and work in ag and in the agriculture industry and stuff. But I was like, well, I guess we're doing it. And my mom thinks it's hilarious. Like we waited to the last moment. I think it must have been probably 1159 of the night that I had to commit. And, and we're like, well, here we go. And I don't think I had even been up to Nashville before. (laughs) I was like, well, we're just going to do it. And we did. And so I ended up here and that aunt links me up with my other, I call her my aunt, but my mom's cousin lives up in Clarksville, which is like, you know, right by Nashville. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, you've got some family, but I'd never met them. And, um, and now, yeah, now they're Aunt Tammy and Uncle Wade. So they like kind of helped refine my music a little bit. Um, Tamara was like involved in the Bakersfield sound and stuff like that when she was growing up. So it was really cool to have people that like knew what they were doing, be so close. And, um, and yeah, Aunt Tammy was out at gigs with me every night. She still like plays bass for me whenever I need a bass player. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting journey up here. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really, that's a great story. Cause I mean, I, I kind of always think that there's at least that one person who opens that door that you didn't know was there. It was like, Hey, let me show you this. And like, you go, Oh, well, okay. I, this yeah. is actually feasible to do. And then oh, I love that. You know, if you need a bass player, yeah she's awesome (laughs) there's probably some videos on my on my instagram of us playing live with aunt tammy so she rocks i want to break one more time to talk about our pals over at desert door and offer up a quick thomas mooney's cocktail minute as i've said probably a hundred times by now by no means am i a seasoned mixologist or bartender But these have been some of my desert door go-tos. For starters, let's just go with the tried and true ranch water. Pop the top off the Topo Chico, take a good swig, now pour in some desert door and top it off by throwing in a few lime wedges. Never fails. This one, it's so simple it probably doesn't even count. But again, pretty foolproof. Do the exact same thing, but get you a Mexican Coca-Cola. I guess you can go with a regular one, but you're really cutting yourself short if you don't opt for the Mexican import variety. All right, here's the changeup you've been waiting for, Desert Door Sangria. This one is prime for when you have company coming over and you aren't wanting to just be over there making six different drinks at a time. What you'll need is some Desert Door, obviously, a bottle of red wine, honey, boiling water, apple cider, apple cider vinegar, some cinnamon sticks, a couple of apples, and some thyme sprigs. I know that may sound intimidating, but trust me, it's worth the prep. And honestly, it's pretty easy. For starters, get you a punch bowl, add that honey, those cinnamon sticks, and the boiling water together. Now you're going to want to stir that all up and let it cool down for about an hour or so. Remember, patience is a virtue. Once that's done, Add some Desert Door and stir vigorously. Now add the wine, the cider, and the vinegar and continue stirring until it's equally mixed. Now slice those apples up and toss them in. Put in those thyme sprigs as well. Now you can pour that over some ice and you have a mighty fine sangria. Chef's kiss. Anyway, those have been some of my favorite go-tos as of late. And remember, Desert Door is as versatile as vodka and more refined, smooth, complex, and intriguing than tequila. It's rich and balanced, and whether you decide to keep it simple or want to experiment, Desert Door is that perfect Texas spirit. There's plenty more recipes over at DesertDoor.com as well. Check out the show notes for a link. All right, let's get back to the episode. I guess like how aware were you of like the, like the Oklahoma scene of, of like a lot of the, you know, the red dirt songwriters and, and people from, I I guess like there's probably a lot more of that happening the further East you go, but Mm -hmm. how aware of you or or how aware of all of that 
were you uh, when you were growing up? I, I mean, it's, it was definitely there. Um, like I said, we didn't really have like a lot of venues. So that was the thing that kept me from traveling more and like getting involved in that scene growing up. I was just like, again, just the oldest of five. So I was taking care of my sisters a lot. It was really hard for my parents to travel to Oklahoma city or Dallas on any given day to like take me to venues and network. But, but it was like, I mean, red dirt is everything where I'm from. Everybody listens to pretty much only red dirt music. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other stuff, but I mean, it was, it was definitely everywhere, but I didn't realize how big it was because like, you know, Eli Young Band went from Red Dirt to Nashville Country. There were people that had done that in the past. Casey Musgraves kind of walked that line. And even Miranda Lambert a little bit, like, making that transition from that scene to, like, the mainstream scene. Um, and, like, people ask me all the time here, I didn't realize how unique it was. It, it was just, like, something, it was just always there. It was like, oh, yeah, everybody does Red Dirt Country or whatever. And, um and it was a lot of what I listened to, but yeah, whenever I moved up to Nashville, everybody's like, Oh, you're an Oki. Why is everybody that's like coming up in this town, like from Oklahoma? Why, how are Oklahomans even interested if there's nothing going on there? <laughs> so I, I always just say it's because we have nothing else to do. You know, we've got to entertain ourselves. And, um, and yeah, and that, like that whole scene being so big, really occurred to me whenever I got up here and everybody's like, Oh yeah, Oklahoma and Texas, like they know what's up. <laughs> yeah. That it, it fascinates me. The, the Oklahoma scene, because, you know, population wise, Oklahoma is, you know, it's pretty sparse in comparison to Texas. You know, I think like there's more people in the, the DFW area than there are in the entire state of Oklahoma. But mm-hmm. even though like y'all are spread out further, somehow like that web is still like probably more connected. Um, and there's probably a little bit more support I feel throughout that scene, uh, specifically with red dirt than, than mm-hmm. down here in Texas. Um, cause I, I just feel like the, just the numbers, there's like just an overwhelming amount of people down here, um, mm-hmm. in, in the scene. But you mentioned like, you know, the Miranda's and the Casey's and, um, being from, from Texas and, what I, what I find really interesting, and this is like probably, this is the, one of the few things that I feel like Texas and Oklahoma, as far as this regional scene needs to work on, is that they do such a poor job of like developing or um, I, I hate to say keeping, because like I don't think there's really keeping people here uh, or mm-hmm. women artists or women songwriters here because... Um, I guess like long story short, what I'm saying is like it took Miranda and it took uh, Casey and, and a bunch of other people going up to Nashville to become successful whenever like they're, they weren't able to, I guess, utilize the, or take advantage of the, this regional scene the way that a lot of like male artists can or ha- or have. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I've thought about that so many times and like, I can't, I can't figure that out either. Um, it almost seemed like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy for thinking this, but there, you know, it is a lot of small towns, especially in Oklahoma. And it's, it's a hard life to be a musician. It's, you know, a lot of hustle, a lot of nights where you're not getting paid probably as much as you should be a lot of hours. I mean, I know whenever I go back home, like the standard gig is like four hours so I think I feel like guys you know um there's a lot of just women in general I think and the scene that are like I could probably do something else with my time (laughs) and and then I think like I think the industry is mostly in Nashville at least on the large scale so I feel like the people that really do commit to it like male or female kind of have to make the commitment to move. And, um, I don't know if maybe guys just have an easier time doing that and just kind of winging it. I don't know. I don't know. It's really interesting. I do think about that a lot though. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, um, there's a lot of artists who 
develop down here in Texas and then you start transitioning to Nashville and after like, I guess like putting all, putting those hours in Texas versus putting those hours in Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're looking at like, I mean, I don't know, like Randall King or like Flatland Calvary or any of the, right. the people down here that have kind of transitioned into, um, also having that one foot, that one leg in Nashville. And, um, I guess like they've been able to do that. Whereas, you know, some of these, uh, female country stars have, have just kind of not been able to take advantage of that system where, you know, they, they're putting their eggs in the, in the Nashville basket first. And I don't know yeah. if, if it's necessarily one of those things where they thought that was the only way where th- like, it just felt like they were not making any kind of headway down here. But now, you yeah. know, of course, like if Casey played, Casey's like bigger than any of the, like the, the Texas country people, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's oh, like, yeah. I'm sure like she's not, um, <laughs> she doesn't like uh, have any regrets or anything, but you know, it's just like this really weird thing. I don't know. I, I wish like there is a little bit more support because like, of course, and this is like probably, a, this is not probably, it's a problem with any festival lineup. You kind of go and you're like, oh, guy, 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 that one yeah. female artist. And then like guys, um, and I don't know, maybe a little bit more diversity on the, on that kind of stuff. If there was just, and I'm sure there are artists here who are women who are trying their hardest, but I don't know, maybe it, it, to me, it just kind of feels like they have a little bit of a more difficult time, um, getting the same benefits or benefit. Yeah. I, yeah, I was actually having that same conversation with, um, this group of people in the UK, um, like through COVID, they put together this really cool thing where, um, they set up live streams and they were like big concert fans. They would go to concerts together all the time. And they were like, well, why don't we, you know, do something to entertain ourselves now? Let's maybe get some of these American artists like on, on live stream and broadcast a year and, and open it up for tickets and stuff. So it's been really cool to get to know them, but they were mentioning that exact thing. You know, like it's really bizarre how, you know, scarce female artists, not, not how scarce we are, but just like in, in the mainstream, like American promotion, you know, world, I don't know, mm-hmm. but they were saying that female artists in the UK are actually a lot more popular than the male artists. So yeah, I don't, I don't know why they were like, come, come play some shows in the UK. You'll definitely get a lot of fans. <laughs> so that's on my list for sure. As soon as we can get those gates open. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't understand that, but hopefully, hopefully the trends are changing a little bit. Um, and I've seen a lot of that, especially as like the country music genre widens. Um, I think we see a lot more artists, but, but maybe it's like how they're branding themselves too. like maybe some are more pop or Americana and a little less of that like country red dirt thing. I don't know. Yeah. The, you know, obviously I think like we've, we've had a huge problem with, with gatekeeping what country is or what you know, traditional country is. And mm-hmm. if you're not playing, you know, if you don't have a cowboy hat and boots on, then you're not country. Or if you're, and mm-hmm. put it into like 2015, if you're not singing about dirt roads and, you know, uh, tailgates, mm-hmm. then are you really country? That kind of thing. And right. it's so, it's so weird because like, that's such a small aspect of even thinking about being country if you're from the country or whatever the case is um but i think like in my opinion um what what that's done is it's made i guess like um it's stunted the growth of a lot of male songwriters because now all of a sudden you have like 40 50 year old dudes singing about tailgates and like trying mm-hmm. to like sing for like 20 year old kids where, you know, a lot of women songwriters are writing about real things like real, like relationship problems or just like growing up or like, you know, um, actual things that happen in life. So I think in the long run, in the long trajectory, 
you're seeing like a lot more successful women songwriters. And maybe that's why like it, they're resonating more with um, the European crowd. Yeah, I, I, it is interesting. I don't know. Cause like, yeah, you get somebody like Dolly and they will withstand the test of time and like all boundaries and everything. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting, but I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned how like, you know, obviously this past year has really just been that pause on, on life as far as uh, getting out and touring and stuff. And you know, you playing in Nashville a bunch before then. Um, what's, I guess, like your plans going forward for like the rest of this year as far as um, are you are you looking to get out and go on a couple of runs or, or anything like that? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to play in Nashville a lot before COVID just because like traveling for gigs is kind of kind of hard just because like you're mostly not not even breaking even half the time right until you get the right gigs but um but yeah i've i've definitely got plans to travel um i'm going back to oklahoma in august i think august 7th i'm just kind of making a guest appearance at a show that's already lined out so i'll probably go play play a couple songs for that but It'll be one of my first times really trying to get into that scene. Uh, I feel like now that Oklahoma is starting to get a lot more venues and things, um, that it's really cool and a lot easier to schedule more shows in my home state. Um, but it's also so close where I'm from to Texas that it's always like a really easy run. I used to do that like at least once a month when I was in college, I would, hit Oklahoma and Texas and just make one big run, but definitely looking forward to, and going to try to get, you know, get some more shows back there planned. And like the, the audience is just so different. Like everybody comes to Nashville for music, but it's a lot of us, like, you know, more singer songwriters networking and playing to each other than it is the people from out of town, because then you're diving into like, the um downtown scene and a lot of that is just cover songs so it's not mm -hmm. as complimentary for a writer um but but this like fans in oklahoma and texas love music like they go to the venue because that's what they want to do they want to listen to the artists and they want to get to know the artists and they want to hang out with the artists and have drinks with the artists and stuff like that so that's totally totally a huge market and something that's really important to me is like getting back for some shows there so we're working on it um i would say in august i'll probably start planning more seriously for those but um but yeah i'm really looking forward to that again i mean people are just the best fans in oklahoma and texas it's really cool yeah that's i think all, always been kind of a selling point for for texas and oklahoma and I'll, I'll throw in Louisiana, even though I don't know if there's many uh, venues yeah. out there, but you know, this area where it is that whole thing where, um, if you go to a show and you try, like there's a pretty good chance that you can meet that person who was singing on the stage. And mm -hmm. that's maybe not always the case. If you're going to a, a big show that's coming through town in the, the arena, you know, the, the arena size show. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're going to, a, a local venue, a smaller venue, you're going to be able to meet that person at the merch table. And right. I think like, that's really, I honestly think that a lot of people, a lot of fans that one-on-one -on -one connection, like it makes them like the music more and makes them like, feel like they're investing in a person versus a, a product. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so essential. I think like those shows are, everything yeah well you'll have to to if you're on your texas tour your texas run you'll have to come through lubbock <laughs> i definitely will I've, I've still got some family out there as well so i will definitely <laughs> be in lubbock <laughs> yeah well um yeah i think that's a it's a good a good spot to, to end on right there it's been a cool. great having you on and uh talking about music and and your story and the new EP. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. 
All right, that just about does it for this one. Be sure to check out the new EP by Zoe Cummins. It's out this Friday, July 16th. I really, really dig it. I think you will as well. Go visit our partners over at Desert Door and the Blue Light Live. Stop on over at the merch store and Patreon. And yeah, I'll see y'all later for another episode of New Slang.